You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Uh, it is so good to be home. It's good to be home. And I've been uh, traveling and trekking and sometimes with my family and sometimes with my bride and, uh, and sometimes actually doing some time of solitude. And I want to talk with you uh, about that. I wanted to say again, welcome. If you have been coming in the last two months, you're like, who is this guy? My name is Dave Flegg. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, I look forward to getting to know you because you might have been coming to Sun Grove and thought this is a pretty cool church and uh, they've got all these great guest speakers. By the way, did you enjoy uh, some of my friends, uh, Mike's friends, my friends, our friends uh, here for the last 10 weeks? Awesome. And, uh, and what a privilege to be able to say, you know, and let me just say first and foremost that God's church is not dependent on any one person except for Jesus Christ. And you, you and I, we live in a transient culture. Like, you have friends who move away. Uh, some of you have recently moved here. And, and you know that people just, we move around and we do different things. And, and one thing I want your heart to grab a hold of in the church is that in God's church, people are expendable. The one thing that is not, people are transitionable. But the one thing that is not is God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit will protect his church, watch over his church, uh, define his church. And, uh, and so it's good. It's good to know, Lord, I can be away. And we've got a phenomenal staff and a phenomenal board of elders. And, and how grateful I am to know that God's church is thriving here. And to know at the same time that his Holy Spirit doesn't take a sabbatical from your life or from my life. Uh, God will send people in and out of the church Um, But his Holy Spirit is what is the driving factor. And the role of the Holy Spirit is always to point the believer and the non-believer to Jesus. And that's what we're all about as a church. Uh, Some people wonder, well, Dave, did you you go away and did you get like this fresh new vision from God? And I'm going to come back and go, nope. And the reason why is that's not the point of a sabbatical. The point of a sabbatical is to actually rest deeply to remove the doing of ministry from the being a child of God. Because so often those two streams can interweave, right? How do you separate what you do from who you are as a child of God? And so this time has been great for us to set aside the doing. God has always been faithful to give us his mission, his vision, his values. At Sun Grove Church, we exist to lead people to become fully devoted Christ followers. That's what we do. That's our mission. And we think that that happens as you encounter God on a Sunday morning like this, as you grow through community, in circle groups, and as you become the church by serving and living your calling. That's our mission. That's our vision. And we've got a bunch of values that back that up. That remains unchanged. It's who we are. And I just want to say thank you to you as a church uh, for the time. For the time to get away and do some things, some time to rest. If you're a teacher in the room, you know what summer break feels like for you, and I've gone 30 years without one. And so thank you, because uh, it's not an expectation for every year. It's a, it was a gift and a privilege, and in, in ministry you carry such heavy things over such a long stretch of time, and oftentimes in ministry you're carrying the heaviest things alongside people and families at their worst or at their best, and And you don't have time to grieve like maybe they would because the next thing happens. The next thing keeps going on. And it's so good to have some time. And I want to say thank you and talk with you today about just the gift of hospitality that the church gave to me and to uh, my wife and to our family 
uh, although the boys were back here working a lot, um, that just gave time for me to be able to rest. So many of you, you wrote encouraging cards and notes, and uh, we had time to really separate the doing from ministry from the being in the presence of God and being out in his creation. And it was an amazing gift of the church to us, and we're grateful for the time. So let me just say thank you. It has meant all the world uh, to us, and I feel like in terms of soul care, uh, I'm in a great place because I've had time to rest. And so I want to say thank you. I'm going to show you a little bit about what we did. We did a bunch of different things, and, and uh, I'm going to share with you about two of our experiences that we had while on sabbatical. The first thing we did is we took a family vacation to Hawaii. And I want to show you a picture here up on the screen uh, behind me. And that is a sunset. If you know me, you know I like photography. And I took that picture, and a lot of you are looking at that. Just take a moment. Let your eye feast on that for a moment. A lot of you are like, yeah, Photoshop, Dave. Yeah, great job. And uh, before you get that far, I want to show you that I actually put my iPhone on top of my camera and time-lapsed it. So why don't you go to that video? And you'll see over time that Photoshop wouldn't even do it justice. Like God's creation is magnificent. Magnificent. A lot of the time we were there at, in Hawaii, it was raining. And we were down at the beach one night and God just showed off what God can do. And you just stand there, you're like, is my, are my eyes actually seeing this? Like, it, are my eyes actually seeing what's happening here? And there's something that happens. People see a sunset like that and they, they think, oh, nature's amazing. And they worship the sign, but they don't realize that that display of living art that is being painted, that always changes, points to the creator. So they worship the creation and created things instead of the creator. But we as believers go and you see something like that, you're like, Lord, you're just showing off. It is beautiful. Good job, God. The day that we left Hawaii, they had a 6.9 earthquake and the volcano started erupting. Right after we left. Literally, our plane missed it by like two hours. So we take off. We're coming back to California. I get back home, and uh, I find out someone said, hey, well, man, it's a good thing you left because, you know, crazy stuff is happening there. I'm like, no, I, we, we, I was at the volcano. It was just kind of spattering a little bit. They're like, Dave, you have no idea. There was a 6.9 earthquake, and I was like, what? And so anyway, my brother-in-law, he basically works for AccuWeather, which is an app on your phone that you can download for weather, and he does weather reporting, extreme weather. And he said, I'm going to the big island. I'm a report on the volcano. I said, I'm on sabbatical. I can meet you back there Monday, and I can shoot photos and video with you. And it began a journey where I was able to go and actually talk to people who had lost their homes in this volcanic eruption of lava flowing out and, and, and just coming up in their neighborhood and taking over their homes, and they're losing everything, and, and yet watching what happens when God creates. And God creates new land. It's amazing to see. Uh, new land sounds great, doesn't it? Like, hey, wouldn't you like to have some more acreage or you'd like to buy a piece of property or have some new land? Well, the newest land in America is happening at the end of the big island of Hawaii. Now, I know the media has overdone it because I was part of the media that was there and they weren't really letting the media in to see the best stuff. And so it made it sound like the whole island is blowing up. The reality is, if it was the state of California, the area affected would be Galt. That's it. You're safe. You can go. 
but that's it. But anyway, just to go back and report and look at it, there's something that sounds good about new land, but new land, when it happens in reality, is it's a destructive force. It has to burn over existing land. It has to flow down to the water. It has to build itself up and create new land, and it is not a light process. It's a violent process as it reshapes landscapes. In fact, let me show you a video clip of that. Actually, there's a volcano. Uh, this is a shot I took at night um, of the crater, Halamaumau Crater, and this is from the, just the visitor center in Hawaii National Park. And this crater at the time was kind of full of lava, um, but it has now completely drained. And the sides of that crater have begun to cave in. I, I experienced about a 5-3 earthquake every day while I was in Hawaii. And uh, because the sides are falling in, they're different than ta uh, plate tectonic quakes here that throw stuff off all of our tables and shelves and things like that. It just, it just shakes, but it's kind of rolling. It's not as bad as a California quake. But that thing is completely drained. And so let me, let me go ahead and show you a lava video here. And what happened is... Cracks started in a neighborhood. It started steaming out of the cracks. And uh, go ahead and show that video. Yeah, cracks started in the neighborhood. It started steaming out of the cracks. And lava started coming up out of what's called a fissure. So out of this fissure, it's just going off. That's lava. There's a helicopter in the background. That's lava flowing uh, up and out. And so could you imagine if that just happened in your backyard? Now, that hill you're seeing there at that point is about 60 feet high. It now has grown to over 200 feet high. I'm going to show you another uh, video clip, and I took a boat to the ocean entry. There's a river of lava that flows eight miles from that fissure out to the ocean at a higher volume than the American River. And this is slow motion video I took from the boat, and it is showing what happens when the lava meets the ocean. This lava ocean entry is now two miles wide. So the, the river goes down, it spreads out over two miles, and it is building new land. The coast to that point, the ocean floor is 600 feet deep. The lava is flowing at such a high volume, it has gone down to 600 feet. It has backfilled it and created 500 new acres of land. Think about 500 acres. What a spread that is, but that's brand new land. It's the newest land on earth. I've seen the newest tide pools on earth. I've seen the newest black beaches, black sand beaches on earth. Pretty incredible to see what happens there. But in order to get there, it's got to burn through existing neighborhoods. It's got to uh, burn over land. It's going to change the landscape. That, that land builds up, and it, it gets really high. At some points, that lava flow, even when it dries, is over 60 feet higher than the existing land. So it's not like a little seepage, like if we have a flood and it goes like maybe four feet. It's like 60 feet high in most places. And other points near the end, it trickles down a little bit. But it is unbelievable. I'm going to show you one last video, and I took a helicopter flight, and it's a little shaky, so if you're prone to, you know, shaky video, you can close your eyes, but this is slow motion video looking down into the fissure, that used to be a neighborhood, and it is flowing out of there, it's shooting 180 feet up into the air, and it's flowing out at 26,000 gallons a second. So the river of lava comes out at 2,500 degrees, and it flows down to the ocean, and when it hits the ocean, it's still 2,500 degrees. It doesn't cool down. It's molten rock. It stays molten till it hits the ocean. It's unbelievable to look at God's creation and just see what is happening in that area. So part of my time, I chased a volcano, and I watched God create new land, and God create change on the big island of Hawaii. But another experience that we had on our sabbatical is that we wanted to make a memory with just Heather and I. And so we went 
and uh, took a cruise to Alaska. We've never taken a cruise, and so it was great to go and take a cruise to Alaska. And while we were there, uh, we went and we saw a glacier. Now, glaciers are massive compressed ice that runs down and carves out valleys where there used to maybe just be land or mountains. That's what glaciers do. You know that. I know that. When they get down to the ocean, they spawn off icebergs. They calve, and they crack off big icebergs that flow out into the ocean and eventually make their way out the, the fjords to the sea. And so while we were there, uh, we actually visited a glacier while on our cruise, and I took a picture here. I want to show you the glacier. And uh, so right there is this massive glacier. There are mountains there, but over the centuries, that glacier has compressed, and it's dragging and carving and creating a new V-shaped valley. And when I took this picture, uh, right after taking the picture, I thought, oh, hey, I just saw a splash. I wonder if I caught that. And I did. And uh, so you can see that splash right there of the glacier. Uh, That's actually uh, calving a brand new iceberg at that point in time. And so I've seen over our sabbatical two different types of creation that God uses to change landscapes. One is fire, molten rock. Another is ice. And God can use both, but they're very different, right? One's fast. It's unexpected. It comes into your life, and it creates change. And that happens, and you go, oh, my goodness, what is happening? And you can panic, and you see instantly, well, you're going to lose. Other changes slow. It's like a glacier. And it just takes time. But there's still something at work, something changing in you. It's just barely perceptible because at times it's so slow. And I want to talk with you today about how God causes change to the values in your life so that your values and behavior match his values and behavior. And God at times will use fire or ice to change your life. If you have your outline, take that out of your uh, program and write some notes down because I believe that God has a word for you today. In any organization, in any church, in any family, and even in your personal life, God will use fire and ice to reshape you. He wants to build some new land, some new things in you. He wants to carve away some old land, some bad stuff that's been solidified in your life, and he wants to reshape you. My friend Dusty Frizzell says that, that when he met Jesus, Jesus came along and ruined his life. His life got ruined by Jesus. What he means by that is this, that God had to tear down everything he thought was significant and that he had been building, but it was built on a shaky foundation. And God had to rebuild his life to significance and values and change that looks more and more like Jesus, like what a child of God looks like. Now, we resist change, right? We don't like change. We want to negotiate with change. We want to beg it to stay away. And change can come very quickly in your life, like a health crisis, It could be like lava. I don't know, I just saw cracks and then steam started coming up and next thing you know, lava started flowing out and maybe in your life you've received a health diagnosis and it feels like that. Maybe it's a death in your family or it's a tragedy, it's a job loss or an unexpected end to a relationship that you thought was solid. See, change can happen really fast. And sometimes it's like fire in your life. You're like, what's going to happen? Is it all destruction or is God actually going to use change to build new land? The other type of change that happens is slow change, glacial change, that it can happen very slowly, like aging. You wake up one day and you're like, how did did I get to be this age? That birthday keeps coming around, you're like, seriously? Wow, 
Maybe it's like a cold or a hardened heart growing soft to the things of God. A, a heart that has been cold or hardened becoming awakened to the things that really matter in life. Maybe slow change happens in your life like getting out of debt and finding out that through a slow progress in the same direction, you can receive financial peace and experience freedom from debt. There are changes. They, they, they have to happen. they got to carve some things out. But you get there. It might be the ongoing removal of sin in your life that you're just letting God's Holy Spirit conform your life more and more into the shape of who a child of God actually is. Well, change can be fast like lava. Or change can be slow like a glacier. So if you're taking notes today, the first fill in the blank is this. What does God use fire and ice to carve out of his people? What does he do? And if you're taking notes today, I want you to open your Bibles to 3 John chapter 1. There's only one chapter in the book of 3 John. It's got 14 verses. We're going to look at all of them. And so from God's word today, we're going to pick up what does God want to carve out of our lives and what does God want to build into our lives as a child of God? And so in 3 John chapter 1, follow along with me, verse uh, 1 of chapter 1, it says this, To the elder, my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that it may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let me just say to you, I have no greater joy, having been gone for 10 weeks, than to hear that as a church you've been walking in the truth, that you've been continuing, that you're not off mission, that you are continuing to be the church, to be a light in a dark world, that we exist to serve the world because we exist to do what Jesus did for the world. That's a beautiful thing. So here John the apostle is writing to Gaius, and Gaius is a, a, an elder in a church, and he's writing to him, but there's another guy in the church who's a problem. And what John wants to do is send a friend to that church, and there's one guy in the church, Gaius, who would welcome him, but there's another guy in the church who's a problem. So we're going to look at these two guys that John is talking about in this passage. Follow along with me, verse 5. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. John's saying, the guy I'm going to send to you, you don't know him, but I know him. And I'm going to vouch for him, and I'm going to send him to you. And he says, you're the kind of guy who will welcome him. He says this, verse 6, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. And it was for the sake of the name, that's the name of Jesus, it's capitalized in your Bible, that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We, the believers, right, we ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that they may, we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but here's the problem, guy. Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who wants to do so and puts them out of the church. This guy's a problem, isn't he? He's not representing the heart of God. Verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil is not seeing God. Demetrius, this is his friend he wants to send to Gaius. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, 
and even by the truth itself, we also speak well of them, and you know that our testimony is true. I've much to write to you. I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Again, you've got Apostle John, and he wants to send this guy. He knows he can send him to one guy in the church, but another guy in the church who's a problem. And I think we're going to learn some things today, that there are some attitudes, there are some things in your life that God wants to carve out. He might use fire. He might use ice. But regardless, he wants to reshape your values if your values are off mission. But there's other person in this church who's dead on, who represents the heart of God, who values what God values, and his life acts it out. And the beautiful thing about that is there's so many of you in here who do exactly that. So let's look at what those characteristics are of these two men that we reveal in 3 John. So when I'm, how do you know when am I reflecting God's values? And the first one is when you faithfully help other believers, including strangers. Now, by strangers, <clears throat> I'm not talking about stranger danger. When I talk about strangers, what we're referring to here is other people who are believers in Jesus Christ. You just don't know them. And in this case, John is vouching for Diotrephes, but then there's this other guy there. Uh, no, he's, uh, for Demetrius, but there's this other guy there, Diotrephes, who's a problem in that church. But John is saying, this guy's a believer. I'm sending him to you. He's a stranger to you, but I want you to welcome him and so you, when you faithfully help other believers, including strangers, you're reflecting the heart of God. 3 John 1.5 said, Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. Secondly, when you show hospitality and work together for the truth, you're reflecting the heart of God. When you show hospitality, when you open your home to a circle, and maybe some people come who are strangers to you, you've got a circle group that is studying God's word, that is doing life together, where a place where people can be real with, with God and with themselves and with other people, and that's where we grow. We grow through community. When you're doing that, when you open up your home to other believers and you work together for the truth, you're representing the heart of God. 3 John 1.8, we ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. And then third, when you imitate what is good. When you imitate what is good. Third John 1.11 says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And some of you in this room are like, I did evil yesterday, so have I not seen God? But because of Jesus, your sins are wiped away. Because of Christ, you have freedom. You're not compelled to do evil and only evil but that in your life because of Jesus because of God's Holy Spirit when you've done wrong and you've entrusted that wrong to Jesus Christ you have every freedom to do what is right and good and noble and pure so these are three examples of God building new land in your life do you want God to expand what he's doing in your life? Do you want to grow spiritually? These are three great areas to grow. Let God build new values, new land in your life. Let God begin to let you faithfully help other believers, even strangers. They might be across the world. They might be in another country, but they are believers in Jesus Christ, but they are in need, and maybe you help them. And you are working together for the gospel with other believers who could never repay you and you may never meet. But people in India or people in Mexico or people in other areas that don't have it like we have it here, 
and you're helping them. It's a beautiful thing. When you show hospitality to work together for the truth and when you imitate what is good, you are letting God build new land in your life. And sometimes he's got to burn out some other things. Sometimes he's got to carve out some other things in order for those kind of values to grow in your life. And change is hard. And sometimes it's fast and sometimes it's slow. But God wants to continue to change you and me to reflect his values. So we've looked at the good. But what about the bad? What does John reveal to us? Are the values that are opposed to who God is and what he wants to do in your life when am I not reflecting God's values? Well, in 3 John uh, 1, 9, he wrote this. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be what? Help me out here. Loves to be? How many of you in this room? Let's be honest. Moment of honesty, love to be first. How many of you with your hands down are actually lying? You can raise your other hand. It's cool. You had some time to think about it. Am I first? Well, I can remember that one time I didn't think of myself first, so... You thought of that one time in your life, but all the other times you're probably thinking that you're first. Well, this guy, one of his characteristics, he loves to be first. And he will not welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing. What else is this guy doing? He's spreading malicious nonsense about us. He's not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers, and he stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So let me break this down for you a little bit. When change happens in your life or my life, we have two responses. We either welcome change or we resist change. That's our response. We either are welcoming change or we resist it. And sometimes God wants to bring change in your life and you go, it's like fire, I want to resist it. And other times it's like a glacier and you're like, I just want it to stop. I don't want anything to have to get broken off to build something new. And God's saying, I love you so much, I want to change your heart and when I change your heart, it changes the outcome of your life. I want to show you a picture. This is of a young boy. And one of the people I met said, this is my son. And he's begging the lava to not take their property. This is their neighbor's property. And he's begging it to stop and not take their land. In follow-up, their land got completely surrounded and cut off. So they still own a piece of property. Their structure is still on it. It's got sulfur damage. Um, their land, their house did not get burned down, but they're cut off. Like, you can't drive over that. I don't care how many times you've seen Dante's Peak. You cannot drive your truck over the lava. It doesn't work. I'm just telling you. It will ignite, okay? So you, they're cut off. They can't. But here's a boy. And that, sometimes I want to give you that picture because that's what you do or what I do when it comes to change. You're begging God. God, please stop the lava. God, please don't bring change. Please don't bring loss. Please just keep me comfortable. And God's saying, I love you too much to leave you where you are. I want your values to reflect mine. And you try to negotiate with the change of God in your life. But God's going to bring change, particularly if you're reflecting values. Like John is going to have to go out and deal with diatrophies and his life and his behavior in the church because it doesn't match the heart of God. And so he brings change. Well, how do you know when you're not reflecting God's values, the first fill in the blank there is when you love to be first. It's all about you. With life, it's all about you. We looked at this before when we looked at hospitality, that you can tell that life's all about you when you are selfish and unconcerned. You're unconcerned about others' problems. You're unconcerned with how other people feel. You are unconcerned about people in other nations. You're unconcerned about other believers. You're just concerned about yourself. And this is our culture right now. 
You're just unconcerned about other people. That's what happens. I was in Walmart uh, while on sabbatical, just right here in Elk Grove, and there were these two ladies, and they were berating and rude and belittling the person that was doing a return for them at Walmart. And I'm next in line, and I'm watching them berate this person who is just exchanging one thing for another, and they are so rude to them, and they are just entitled, and they're going off, and I mean, I just can't believe how, and I'm watching this guy going, this guy is golden. Like, I need to write a comment card for this guy because he is taking it so well because of how rude these two ladies are being. And I'm just watching, right? And all of a sudden, one of them looks at me, and she sees that I'm watching. She must have read the expression on my face. She goes, what? And I was like, you guys are being so rude. And, and they're like, Shawai. And I get their exchange and they walk out. And like everybody behind me in line was like, man, to the little clerk, you handled that so well. You did like, everyone's propping up because of how rude the person was. Well, when you and I become all about self, we become pretty rude, don't we? You might be rude to strangers. Here, John is saying, Gaius, you welcome strangers who are believers, even though they're strangers to you. You represent the heart of God, but not Diotrephes. He loves to be first. And some of you are like, well, I would never do that at a restaurant. I would never do that at Walmart. I would never be. But the truth is, you're rude to your parents. You're rude to people who live in your house. You just think of yourself all the time. And just selfish, selfish. You can't celebrate other successes. You're at work or you're in the, in, the, in the marketplace and somebody else gets an award, somebody else gets a promotion, somebody else gets an elevation and you can't even bring yourself to celebrate for somebody else because you're all like, I should be first. You think you should be first all the time. And in your heart, you're bitter against them and it reveals that in your heart, you're not even representing the heart of God. Why? Because it's human nature to love to be first. We think of ourselves, our needs, Maybe you always make the conversation about yourself. i got to let you know that I've seen so many of you change in your values to represent the heart of God. I mean, there's people in here who would say, you know, I used to not like homeless people, now I serve at Winter Sanctuary. I used to be unconcerned for people in other countries, now I've gone to Mexico, I've gone to India, I've gone to the Dominican Republic, I've gone anywhere that we go, we're looking to opening the doors of China as a church, and we're saying, God, what would you have us do for those people there? I've seen God change your heart. Maybe through fire or ice, but he's changed you. The second thing that God wants to carve out of your life is when you spread malicious nonsense. When you spread malicious nonsense. Well, what's that? That's lies and gossip. What are lies and gossip? People get weird about what gossip is, and our culture like thinks that gossip is exciting and that it's okay to do. But the truth is that God hates lies. He hates them. God hates gossip, which is spreading non-firsthand information to other people. And at this point, with a malicious intent. And God hates that. He said, in fact, he says, you're not representing the value, the heart, the communication of God the Father, because the communication of God the Father is truth. He's a God of truth. He's a God of love. He's a God of purity. That's the heart of God. But when you gossip or when you lie... And by the way, let me just say this. Some people are like, I don't lie. I just don't tell everything so that I won't lie. Well, but I gotta let you know that withholding information is a form of lying. 
And when you lie or when you spread malicious gossip, and it happens in the marketplace, it happens in the church, it happens in other places, when you do that, God will bring change into your life. God says, you're not representing my communication, my heart. You're not representing as a child of God. You now are speaking like Satan, who Jesus says, his words are like the father of lies. That that's his natural language. That that's his, his lying and gossiper was what Satan's all about. And Satan loves to lie to you as much as he loves to try to get you to lie to somebody else. And that doesn't belong in God's church, but that's what this guy, Diotrephes, is doing. Why? Because he loves to be first. If I could have this choice morsel of information, if I could spread something that may not entirely be true, then maybe it makes me look like I have insider information. And John says, I'll come back and I'll oppose that. Third, when you're unwelcoming of other believers. You know, perhaps this happens, it's in nature, right? Perhaps you're competitive about other churches or other Christian organizations. And you're like, well, I think our church does it the best. Well, if you get the pastors together in what we call the church at Elk Grove, we're friends. And we're like, we're all on the same team. And you know what? There's going to be different styles of worship. There's going to be differences in theology, not in the majors, but in the expressions or in the minors, there'll be differences. But together, we are the church at Elk Grove. We want to be on mission for what God wants to do, change in our region and change across the world. And we love being in kingdom work together, that we commit with one another, that we love one another, that we break down competitiveness, that we break down differences so that we can look each other in the eye of honest conversations, that we can love one another as brothers or as sisters, and we can team up with others in our area. But maybe you got competitive. Maybe it's with other churches, maybe other groups. Um, maybe for you, you've just gotten unconcerned for believers in other countries. You think, man, I got enough problems on my own. I don't know how to care for, for people in other countries. And yet if you're part of Sun Grove Church, anytime you give at Sun Grove Church, immediately when you give, 10% of that goes immediately to help believers in other countries through our global and local outreach. And right away. So if you're a part of this church and you're contributing as a part of this church, you're welcoming other believers in ways you can't imagine until you go on a mission trip yourself and see it firsthand. And it will be a game changer when you do. You'll see God changing a country through fire or ice and through the goodness of people at Sun Grove Church who want to value what God values. The last two, when you pressure others to stop doing what is good, you're not representing the heart of God. Some of you, you want to taint your friends. You want to be like, hey, well, believe in Jesus, but don't get overly spiritual with me. What are you doing? You're trying to tempt them to not be pursuing the values of God. You're going to be like Diotrephes, who was trying to oppose people, welcoming other people. And last, when you want the church to be small, we four and no more. Churches like that love each other to death because they die. They grow old and they die. They're off mission for years, but they love each other. Why? Because somebody in that church gets to be first. And they're unconcerned for the lost. And they're unconcerned for helping other believers. I love about Sun Grove Church that that is not us. And if you want Sun Grove Church to simply be small, if you want it to be we four and no more, then that's not the heart of God. I want you to know something. God is always about church growth. If he wasn't, you wouldn't be a believer. He would have stopped a long time ago and been like, well, you're all done. But Jesus reached out his arms and hung on a cross so that you 
could be saved, so that I could be saved, so that he could bring change through fire or ice into our life that represents the heart of God. Well, maybe as we've talked this morning, some of you are like, well, what do I do? Because as we've talked this morning, I realize it's all about me. What do I do? Because I realize I know in my life I have some behaviors or I have some sin that has made my heart grow cold to God. Some of you in this room, you're like, honestly, I just don't care. So what do I do if I just don't care? What's going to happen if I just don't care? What's going to happen if I've done something bad and I have shame and guilt in my life? What do I do with that? And here's what you do. If you're in any of those situations, you entrust your sin to Jesus' work on the cross. That God's been doing some work to change you that you might not be aware of. That God has not given up on you. In fact, God is always proactive in how he changes us. And it was displayed in a situation that I want to show you that's pretty amazing. When we went and visited the glacier, I, I took a picture of a floating iceberg that was going by. I want to show it to you right now. And what do you see on that iceberg? You see an iceberg here. It's beautiful, but look at there's There's dirt and there's rocks on it. Do you see that? You see the boulders that that iceberg is carrying? And they're big. That's not like a little one. Like, I don't think I could pick up that big rock. That's how big that one is. And it's just going by, and I'm, I was marveling, like, I didn't know, like, icebergs, like, carry stuff like that, because usually when I see a picture of an iceberg, it's just, like, blue ice or something, right? But here's the picture. That's a representation of what has been carved out, and it's being carried off, and at some point, you don't know when, but at some point, when that iceberg melts, it drops that rock in the middle of the ocean somewhere. You might dive down and go, hey, how did this rock get here? And the last thing you would think about is that an iceberg carried it, Right? Well, there's this amazing verse in Micah chapter 7 that I want to read to you. It says this, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot, and you will hurl all our iniquities, that's our sins, into the depths of the sea. Do you get the picture that in your life and that in mine, we think we've got to be the iceberg carrying the sin. And God says, no, no, I'm going to carve it out. I'm going to take it away somewhere far, far away. And I'm going to drop it in the sea. I'm going to post a sign that says no fishing. So when you go back and you try to bring up your past sins, when you go back and bring up your failures and like, God, look at my failures. God's going, I, honestly, I dropped that thing somewhere in the ocean. You don't even know where it is. I've taken care of it. My death on the cross has carried away your sin. So entrust yourself to the change process. Stop resisting the change and say, God, come change me. I'm stuck. God, I'm like hardened like granite and I need you to bring something to carve the granite out and bring new life in a beautiful valley God, I, I've experienced fast change. It's, a fissure has happened and lava's coming up and I don't know what to do, God, and it looks like I'm going to lose all sorts of things. And God's like, embrace the change. I'm going to build some new land, but I've got to take down what you've built that has not represented my values, but I love you and I'll carry you through it. And I'll bring you to a new tropical place with tide pools, black sand beaches, and a firm foundation. But you've got to let God work in the change of your life 
with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Some of you in this room, you're just saying, I, I've never entrusted my sin to God. I don't even know what that looks like. Like, how do I give my life to God? And all you have to give is just yourself. And maybe today, for the first time, you're realizing that Jesus died on a cross to satisfy God's righteous wrath against your sin. And because God's righteous wrath against your sin was satisfied in Jesus, you don't receive the wrath of God when you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Faith is not something you have. Faith is something you give. And if right now you'd like to say, God, I'm going to believe. I'm going to give faith to the fact that your death on the cross could cancel out my sin then you will be saved is what the scriptures say. So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's you today, just pray a prayer right where you're seated, even in your heart, God hears you, but just pray this, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to make me a new creation. I choose to believe that what you did on the cross covers my sin, it carries it away. I believe that you died on the cross for me that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you were God. Would you give me your Holy Spirit to change me on the inside? Because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.